thank you so much for leading us in worship today, guys. Appreciate you all very much. Thank you. Thank you for being part of loving our God and worshiping Him together. So Pastor Josh is on vacation this week, but the youth are still meeting. So I just wanted to make sure you know that. Uh, I believe that uh, Nico and Bailey are doing that. If you guys get down there and no one's there, come back up and tell me, okay? But that was the uh, understanding I had, so they're down there. We're good. Okay. We're going to begin the message with the reading of a well-known story in the Gospel of John today. I'm very excited about what God has planned for us today, so I want to get right into it. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip. He already knew what he was going to do. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down. Jesus said, so they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Everyone was full. Jesus told the disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces uh, and filled 12 baskets with the scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet that we have been expecting. Just let that sink in for a second. A miraculous sign, they saw it, surely he's the one. Let's keep going. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Here's this moment. They're ready to make him king, but there's something to this that is deeper that we need to understand. The people saw that if Jesus was their king, if he was their promised Messiah that they were looking for, all of their needs would be met. Everything would be taken care of. They would have it on easy street from now on. I mean, they just got fed for nothing. They took nothing and he made something and he gave it to them. So they thought, this is the one. He can meet all of our needs. We'll never have to deal with hunger again, no issues or anything like that. Let's make him king right now for he has the power to do it. Okay, but there's a problem here. The problem here is that all they were looking for is what he could provide for them and their own selfish fleshly needs. They wanted him to meet their personal needs and the fact that they would be on easy street from here on out. And therefore, they wanted him to be their king so that everything from this forward would go right. Now, if you read the Gospels and you know the life of Jesus, you'll know that crowds of people, just like I just stated, crowds of people came. Cities would turn out. They would hear he was coming and they would be out to meet him. But the reason they were going out to meet him is because they wanted him to do something for them, touch their sick people, cast out demons, heal people, change their lives for the moment. All the time. So here's Jesus in the middle of that commotion of man let's make him king get hiding and running away and hiding 
We're going to keep reading now because it's important that we listen to what takes place right here in this very moment. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. So when they got up the next day, Jesus was gone. I'm guessing they were looking for breakfast, but I'm not positive. So they went looking. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous sign. See, Jesus knows the heart. And he was saying, like, I know exactly why you're here. It's not about me being the Messiah. It's not about me being the Savior. It's not about the message that I'm bringing. You're only here because you want food. You only want something for yourself. All right? Jesus is calling them out straight up, right? But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of His approval. So you see, Jesus is trying, even at this very moment, to turn their hearts towards what He's actually here for. He was here to be the Savior of the world for right correcting the sin problem in our lives to make a relationship with the Father. He did physical things for people because He was moved with compassion, but He never wanted it to be the focus. We are so focused on the moment and our flesh, even in the church today, that we've lost sight of the purpose of our redemption, that it is for a relationship with God in eternity and in the moment. Now look, let's keep going now. They replied, we want to perform God's work too. What should we do? That's a good heart and a good approach. But what was their heart and what work were they talking about? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Again, they're looking for the miracles. They're looking for the provision, for the supernatural movements. And Jesus said, here's the heart of God. This is exactly what God wants from you, to believe in the Messiah, the Savior the one and only. Just stop right there. He says, stop all the other stuff and understand this is what it's all about. Now check it out. This is amazing right here. They replied, we want to perform God's work too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, listen, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? Is that crazy? They already just ate that stuff. They saw 12 baskets picked up last night. But today, prove yourself. What are you going to do now? What in the world will you do right now for us to believe in you? See, last night's food was already gone. And we got to think about this because you see our appetite creates this desire for something else, right? It doesn't matter if you had a Thanksgiving feast yesterday. If you have no food today, your body says you need to eat, right? So what's driving them in the moment is their flesh. Exactly what they're after. Satisfy my flesh. Prove yourself to me again. Do something more. 
I want today's miracle. Yesterday's doesn't work anymore. What you've done in the past is not good enough. Show me now. Church, I want you to know that this is common in Christianity today. We know all that God has done for us in the past. How He's seen us through things. Even things that didn't go the way we asked or thought. But God saw us through. We learned and we grew. We had a a greater relationship than we've ever had before. After the events of which we have traveled through. And yet we face the next challenge and we're asking Him, God, do something. Change it right now. Do something. And then when things don't happen... I, I'm not, I don't want to speak this over everybody. I'm just telling you that as a pastor, I've heard it way too often. Where Christian people get angry with God because He's not showing up in their moment. It's like, fix it now. What's your problem? I've heard people say they've yelled at God. I'm like, you're, you're either dumb... I mean that respectfully. I'm trying to think of the right words. Like to, to think that you can yell at God and tell him off because you're mad. Because he's not doing what you want. I'm talking about Christian people saying this. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean to everybody here. You just need to understand that you need to humble yourself. He's God and we're not. Only reason you're breathing is because he hasn't taken your breath. God, show up and do something. I need you to fix my issues. I begin to doubt Him. I begin to think that His promises don't work for me. We begin to think that God cares about everybody else more than He does me. Even though over and over in His Word, He says He doesn't show favoritism. He grants favor in moments of people's lives, but He doesn't have favorites that He's like, well, I'm going to protect you. Come on over here. I love you. I don't know about them. We'll just set them to the side right now and just let them deal with their... That's not God. His Word teaches us. Therefore, you are not being selected or set aside by God for some special moment. He loves you. That doesn't mean He's at your beck and call to fix your current moment problem. Show me what you're going to do. God, I demand you. In Jesus' name, because your promises say you do. God does answer every one of our prayers. Sometimes it's no. So what of it? If he says no to you, is he still God? Do you still love him? Or are you only loving him as long as he feeds you? See, these people were all over him. And they wanted him as long as he kept meeting their needs. But the moment he didn't meet their needs, they went away. They turned their backs on him. It happened right there in John chapter 6, actually. The entire crowd left when he didn't do what he said he would do. Or what they asked him to do, I should say. I'm not going to read all that right now, but we're going to look a little further. See, this conversation continues with these people in Jesus. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all... Our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. See now, this is what they're trying to spiritualize themselves. 
And they're trying to call on Jesus to do what they know God did already in their history. Right? So God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Jesus, I'm going to put you on the spot and say, well, God fed our forefathers for 40 years. They didn't have to garden or do any work. The food was there for them every day. So now we're like, hey, check this out. Here's Jesus' answer. You ready? Verse 32. This is awesome. I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he's offering you the two bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread, listen, every day. See, they're looking for that handout, that, that life that Jesus was bringing to them on their terms, according to their desires, the way they wanted it. Okay, we want what God's offering every day as long as it meets my needs and everything is smooth from here on out. Jesus replies, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Wow, that's crazy, isn't it? All of a sudden they're like, wait, we're asking for that, but you're, you're not giving it to us, but you're saying you're it? How does that work? See, if you provide for us, if you meet our needs, if you will fill in the blank, what are your demands on God? Now you may think, well, I don't have any to Think about it for a minute. What do you expect from God in your relationship with Him? So I was going through a prayer time a while back where I was just like writing down questions to myself and listening to the Holy Spirit. And it was like, what is it that I expect from God? What do I expect from Him? And I wrote that question down. What do I expect from God? And then I began to try and answer it. And everything I, I, I began to write down was like, really, that's really what you won't expect from Him. You know, because your brain thinks in your human flesh. And I began to write stuff down, and I'm like, Lord, that's not right. Forgive me. Let's reassess this. When I got done with that prayer time and that question, the next question was this. What can God expect from you, Dave? And so it was like, <laughs> well, you know, I'm all yours. <laughs> Sorry, this is all I got. he said it's good enough and I was like man you know it's crazy how we can get so messed up in our heads about what this relationship is all about and what we really expect from God and what it is that we are looking for him to do for us when he has done for us what he has done see we want a savior that makes our life easier we do come on you know this I hear it all around the Christian community we want to be the blessed children of God. We want to, and, and when we interpret blessed, we mean needs met. And not the biblical word for blessed, but that's our interpretation of it. We believe as children of God, as joint heirs with Christ, that we should be the royal children of God now. And that we should have all that we need and then some. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you God doesn't want to bless your life. He does. But his blessings in life sometimes don't mean tangible, material, physical. 
The blessings of life come because you have been allowed to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. That he himself paid our debt for sin and has given us the precious gift of eternal life. Church, he doesn't owe us anything. That was a gift of God because he loves us. But many of his children have learned to throw tantrums and believe that God should provide because I'm his kid everything I need. Want. It's not need. Most of what we ask for is not a need, it's a want. Let's be honest. And probably that's the reason why a lot of our prayers go unmet and unanswered. Because we ask our, our requests of God based upon our physical human self. Okay, let's not forget what Jesus taught. When Jesus was giving a, a, a challenge to the people, there, these are verses that <laughs> they're not read a lot in churches, to be honest with you. They're not, okay? But they're Jesus' words, and we need to hear them. And there's two sections of Scripture we're going to look at right now. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Just do, do an assessment for a moment. See, the call of a Christian is not a call to escape the issues of this world and the issues that the world has, but it is a call to be free from the sin that owned us and has caused all the issues of the world and the brokenness in which we live. See, that's the call of God. That's the call of Christ. And he's saying, if you live for self, it doesn't work. Right? That's what he just said to us. The only way that you're going to be able to experience the life God has planned for you is for you to surrender your life and give it to me and then follow my lead. We're still struggling with inviting Jesus on our journey rather than following his path. So the real war that is raging for our soul is the forces of evil versus God. And it's real. So when we say yes to Jesus, this is what happens in the spiritual realm and in the reality of life. You're in the trenches of war. You were drafted for this side in sin and you had no choice in the matter. You are Satan's spawn in sin. I mean, you don't mind not like to hear that, but I'm just telling you, God's word's pretty straight up with us. We're born in sin, the brokenness of humanity. That's why Jesus had to come and break the curse of the flesh so that we have a chance to be born out of this curse. Now then, when we say yes to Jesus and we ask his forgiveness, we repent of our sin, we cross the battlefield to the other side. Think about this. Get a visual for a moment. There's a war going on. And we get up out of the trenches, crossing the crossfire, and we're going to the other side. And we are enlisting voluntarily and joining in. I'm on God's side now. It's not, nobody lives in the middle. Literally. 
Nobody lives in the middle. You'll die there. Jesus said, you're going to take up your cross and follow me. You're in the trenches with me or you're in the trenches with the enemy. Where are you at? Okay, so then as we look at this whole thing, when we say yes to Jesus and we're going over there, so I want you to hear that what Jesus, not I want you to hear, Jesus is trying to tell us something that there is a cross that you carry in following him. There is. It's the absence of yourself. Self has to die. So it's not that I am just like, Jesus has just done this amazing thing for me and I'm going to live for myself still. No, he's saying that doesn't work. That's what sin is and that's your problem. You have to die. And the only way that you can die is through the surrender and understanding of what it costs to be a follower of Christ. So now, before we go any further in this, we have to balance this out and understand something. See, when I'm on this side in the trenches of sin and I hear the call to be a Christian and Jesus is moving and the Spirit of God is calling me, I'm seeing all kinds of stuff in front of me. I know, I I saw it all. The enemy's saying, like, if you go there, you're giving up this. If you go there, you're giving up this. If you go there, you're giving up this. If you go there, you can't do this. Anybody have that little conversation in your mind of the battlefield? You know what I'm talking about? So the enemy's telling you, if you go over there, you're going to not be able to do all of this that you love so dearly. And there's this moment where you have to say, self has to die, and I step over to you. Yes, Jesus, I'm coming. So when we're looking from this side, there is a death to self that is going to take place and has to take place for me to get over there because I'm no longer living for me and what I think I need and what I think I want or what I think was entertaining or what I think was good for me. I'm stepping across that battlefield and as I step into the trenches with Jesus, this life that Christ has called me to and the death of Dave is right there on that battlefield as he lays as a solid corpse. God breathes life into me. Now look, I want you to know that when I'm on this side in the trenches and I look back, I'm like, oh, good riddance. (laughs) I had no idea that I was a living dead zombie. I had no idea of how messed up I was. Because you see, this life I lived was so normal to me and it was what I created. I was miserable. But that's what my normal was. I was dead and I didn't even know it and yet I knew it I step over into this side and this is what Jesus says listen it's so great come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest (laughs) he's like are you are you done yet (laughs) are you done fighting are you done trying Are you done trying to satisfy your own self? Are you done trying to fix your problems? Are you done falling on your face constantly? Are you ready? Come on over. There's a cross. But the cross you're carrying is beyond your capability. So as you come across this cross, this death to self, I want you to know, Jesus says, when you come with me, you're going to be able to find rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you. 
because I am humble and gentle at heart, you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Church, you know this. The life I now live in Christ, oh my goodness. So blessed. And I mean that in the spiritual sense. The life I now live with him, I am so blessed. It's amazing. I no longer carry that corpse. I no longer have to be the person I created myself to be. I don't have to be miserable in that. I don't have to view life that way. I don't have to see people the way I did. I don't see them that way. This life that Christ has called me into is an amazing life. See, before Jesus, we were slaves to sin. We were slaves to shame, guilt, brokenness, alone, abandoned. We were all slaves to that, and you know it. I don't care who you are, where you lived. In your darkest moments, that's who you were, and you knew it. No denying it. And after Jesus, we've been changed. The battle is different. It's so different. We are now resisting the forces of evil, no doubt. We're resisting shame and guilt and brokenness. We're resisting sin and all that stuff that comes against us. But we do not face it alone, church. Jesus said, I will be with you and I will give you victory. I have overcome. I was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Therefore, I will be there for you and I will carry you through the battles of life. Team up with Jesus. Stop it already. The victory is one for us. It's all one. And he's come to lead us into that victory. So quit whining and complaining. Quit demanding. Quit asking because you're trying to look good. And surrender. (laughs) The battle changes, right? Now that we come to Christ, there's a whole different battlefield that begins to be born around us. Jesus clearly warned us, church, um, and his followers of what would happen, but it's really talked about. Just shared this with a member of our church the other day. And uh, I think it's, it's kind of humorous in a way that you won't ever read a devotional about this, but Jesus said it. You won't get one of those little pretty memes created with these verses on it. You're not going to make it your wallpaper, and I doubt that too many people are going to post this on your kitchen wall. But Jesus said it. You ready? Do you think I've come to bring peace to the earth? Nope. I've come to divide people against each other. This is Jesus talking. From now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. What's happening in your family? The next verse, 53, comes from a prophetic statement from the prophet Micah. And this is what he says. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. 
Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That's Micah 7, 6, by the way. God was talking about the conflict that is erupting in the lives of people spiritually who will either call on God and let him be God or not. And that is the dividing line, period. Jesus didn't stop there. Listen. Then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, when you see clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, here comes a shower. And you're right. When the south wind blows, you say, today's going to be a scorcher. And it is. You fools. You know how to interpret the weather. Signs of the earth and the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. Now, as soon as we hear something like that, everybody starts to think prophetically about the end times. Jesus is not talking about the end times right here, so don't lose yourself there. He is saying, you are so clueless that you don't even understand what is happening right here, right now, in front of your face. You can read all this stuff, and you're so clueless when it comes to the reality of what I'm saying to you, that it's got to be all me. I'm talking about Jesus here. God has given revelation. Jesus says, like, it's being revealed before your very eyes and you're clueless. You're still, like, lost looking for something that I am not because you've created this idea in your mind. So Jesus himself engaged in this battle against sin to bring you and I victory. And let us know right here. He's letting us know what it requires for us to be all in on his side. Above all. He is telling us right here, I have to be first in your life. Do you remember the Ten Commandments? God said that, right? I'm a jealous God. Nobody else but me. I have to be number one, period. Above your spouse, above your family, above your friends, above your siblings, above all else, I have to be number one. There is no other way. We have developed a culture in the United States that serves their children, the demands of society, and all other stuff. In church, God has called us and said, I've got to be the first and foremost choice of your life above all else. Until we do that, we're in trouble. It requires the death of self to do it. Look, I'm not going to keep talking about this exact same thing, but I have to bring it up here because of where it is in my life and what's going on. See, throughout my married life with Kim, um, God has called me to places of surrendering her, surrendering every one of our children, our daughter-in-laws, all three of them, our grandkids, where, you know, God's like, are they mine? Yes, Lord, they're yours. I have to entrust you with them. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. I give them to you. And so throughout life, you see, because you all know this if you have family, that if you're, they own your heart, you know, like in a sense, they're in you and you feel that. And so whatever's going on in their life, you're just like carrying that. And Jesus says, wait wait a minute, they're mine. You can't carry it. Give them to me. And that was another moment of surrender with her cancer diagnosis back in January and all the stuff that was going on. And Jesus said, is she mine? Yes, Lord, she's yours. Is she mine? Yes, Lord, she's yours. I, you know I've given her to you. But I want her. <laughs> Is she mine? Yes, Lord, she's yours. 
but Lord, I don't know how to live without her. Is she mine? Yes, Lord, she's yours. But God, I don't know how to function without her. You know that I haven't lived a Christian day of my life without Kim. I've never pastored a church without Kim. I've never been a father, a grandfather. I've never been anything without Kim. God, you know that. Dave, is she mine? Will you give her to me? What about my plans for her? Yes, Lord, I surrender. Your plans are better than mine. I don't ever want to keep her from what you have planned for her, no matter what that feels like in me. Whatever you have planned, she's yours. That was the moment that I really gave her to him, right? The other times where, yes, I've given her to you, you know that, Lord, because they were real back then. But in this moment, this was a new surrender. This is what Jesus is calling us to. This life of surrender, trust, and obedience. I surrender you. I trust you in the process, and I'm just going to act in obedience to whatever you have planned. We didn't know the outcome. I'm so grateful that God allowed her to stay with me. But there was no guarantees of that. There's no guarantees in the future. After she came home, we talked about that. This is going to happen one of these days, you know. One of us isn't going to come through something. Are we okay with whatever God has, right? Are we ready for that? Are we all in? Yes, Lord, we're all in. Church, I want you to know this is what God's asking us because you see sin is a huge thing and it required God to lay down his life for us. It is not a small thing. It's not something we take for granted. That's why Jesus gave us the communion time that we will share together. He's saying, I want you to remember always that it cost a life for you to have this life. And that I paid that price so that you would not have to. And I want you to do this so that you will remember. Now, a lot of people wonder why we don't do communion more often. And the reason is, is because it should not be done lightly. I have a friend that was talking about this week with me and, and he was raised in a church that did it every week and he said, man, I always loved when we had communion. I knew I was about to get out. Seriously. No, it's not his fault. He was younger and it was just as a kid, you know, he's, all he was thinking is going home and doing whatever he wanted to do. But you understand, we can view this like that and we can do those things in anything that we do in church and worship and what we, you know, the whole relationship with God. It can be screwed up. So Jesus told us that as often as you would do this, do it in remembrance of me. He didn't say do it often. He said as often as you do. (laughs) Don't forget that. It's not a small thing. It's a big thing. As a matter of fact, God says if you don't do it right, it can cost you your life. That's a pretty big thing. That's not something I just want to throw around everybody and say, hey, let's have communion together because it's the first Sunday of the month. I don't mean that disrespectfully people do it. If you do it right all the time, amazing. God bless you for doing it. But Dave can't do it all the time. Just I become too patterned and thoughtless, and I just kind of function. And God's saying, like, well, this is way too important for you to just function at. So when he gave us communion, he said, you're going to do this as often as you would remember to me. Look what I did for you. I want you to see this. There's so much in this whole thing, you know, because of the Passover, the lamb, the slain, the whole process that God had laid out from the beginning, the foundation of the world, man. (laughs) He's amazing. But the New Testament church started screwing it up like we do. And the people in Corinth were having food and dinners and feasts and partying. And he was like, man, you guys, 
you got issues over there and you need to knock it off. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. See, it's a pretty important thing, right? Not done. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Uh Uh-oh, we're getting pretty serious here. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak, sick, and some have even died. All right, now you know why we don't have it just every Sunday to do. I don't want you guys getting sick and dying. Come on, man, seriously, this is not a game, man. He's saying, like, this is not just something you do because you're in church. You're doing this to remember that it cost my life for you to be forgiven of your sins and have a relationship with the creator of the universe. I laid down my flesh and blood for you. See, he's calling us to be on his side. If you would examine yourselves, if we would examine ourselves, verse 31, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So he's saying like, listen, everybody, I want you to know that there is a call to you today that God wants to make sure your heart is right and my heart is right. He's saying before you even touch that bread to your lips, you need to take a real good look at yourself. Stop looking over stuff that you're just trying to make excuses for. And he's saying, you need to see yourself the way I see you. Look at yourself because I'm going to judge you someday. You ought to judge yourself first. Then you'll be okay when I, you stand before me. This is this word we're talking about. This is God talking to us. So, as we step into this relationship with him and what he's doing for us, he says for us to examine ourselves. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you need to know him today. Seriously, do not partake of communion without knowing him. But by all means, partake. <laughs> he is the answer to your life. Christian, some of my Christian friends have decided they don't take communion because they're scared of what that says right there. I'm going to tell you that if you're too scared to take communion today, you ought to be scared for your soul and you ought to repent so that you can. (laughs) It's not to keep you from taking communion. It's to make your heart right with God so you can take communion. Right? Because it's costing you something. So I've never opened one of these before and I'm struggling here. I figured we're going to probably make a mess in this room, but it's something that we were doing to help us here. So if you notice, you take these apart. There's this, the bread is in there, and it's separate from the cup. Um, when you take, there's two, two separate papers there. 
If you're struggling and you have a child next to you, let them open it for you. (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? Seriously. Thank you, Jesus. So before we ever take that, I want you to separate it, but we're going to do it together. But first off, if you don't know Jesus today, please repent of your sin. Understand that He is your one and only Savior. And that He is calling you from the life of self to a life of Christ. And when the enemy is trying to tell you all the things you're giving up, please hear me. You're not giving up nothing. Please understand that. You're giving up the sin and bondage that has owned you. You've been a slave to the enemy. You don't have to be. He wants to set you free. Say yes to him. Christian friends, this is a moment that we examine ourselves. Holy Spirit, we are present with you here and all across the internet that is joining us. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for your work in us. Thank you, Jesus, for sending the Holy Spirit to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for conviction of sin and of righteousness of the coming judgment. The threefold work that Jesus promised you would do is actively at work right now. Thank you, God. (laughs) Hey, whatever you're dealing with, church, please hear me. Whatever it is that Jesus is calling to you about, just let it go. Let it go right now. Surrender, trust Him in it, and then act in obedience. Yes, Lord, it's yours. I'm done. As I was praying about this moment in our service, I was asking God. We were singing stuff. Guys, thank you for the worship songs today, man. I'm telling you, like we were singing stuff and I was like, God, that is so what you're trying to say to us. So God prepared your heart for this moment through those songs, through the messages. And what he was asking us to do is to surrender and the giants will fall. I want you to know that I, I'm going to just say things flat out to you. So I, I know there's people that are addicted to pornography that come to church and you're struggling. You know it's wrong. You're struggling with it and you're trying to like give it up and you can't and you feel like you just keep falling to it. I want you to know that in my prayer time today, God was just saying, I'm bigger than that. I'm bigger than that. He's way bigger than that. Give it to him right now. Give it to him. Give it to him. Your addictions, give it to him. Whatever's going on in your life, give it to him. God is calling us to understand that this battle is His and He has given victory. Give it to Him. Stay with Him. Let Him do it. Lord, as we have examining our hearts before You right now, God, we examine ourselves by Your work of Your Holy Spirit. We confess whatever's broken, whatever's wrong, to give to You. Now, church, I want everybody to know this. Uh, if you have not taken that communion yet it's fine if you did i'm just trying to walk us through something we do practice an open communion you don't have to be a member of this church that doesn't mean nothing you have to be a member of the church of jesus christ and he makes that really clear in his work so please understand that this is a personal aspect of your relationship with him god knows your heart you know what god says you're welcome to participate if you're a parent you have children here Again, please understand your role in their life to 
have Jesus be prevalent and foremost so that they will naturally come to know him as their savior. Jesus called the kids to him. I encourage parents that if your child wants to be baptized, educate them in the process, let them get baptized. When they get older, they can get rebaptized. It's okay. But we want them to know this relationship with God is real and they need to step into it, understanding it. But at the same time, I want you to be just as diligent about communion as you would baptism. Don't just like say, hey, this cute little cup, have some. Let them know what it means. Okay, now church, um, there's, this is not wine, it's, it's juice. We have a lot of recovering people. We've never used alcoholic beverage. Don't be you know, worried about that if you have those issues in your past. And so Lord, we just take this bread and just like Jesus did on that day, we bless it. Lord, we understand that this is a symbol of the sacrifice of your body and for us to understand that you indeed were broken for us. And so we take it. And we thank you, God, and we eat it. For those of you joining us at home, whatever you have is fine. You maybe didn't read the bulletin and knew we were doing communion. Don't care if it's apple juice or orange juice or whatever. Seriously, just bring it before the Lord and just lift it up to him. Father, as we take the cup and we give thanks, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we're not worth it, but you saw we were. God, through your love, you were willing to give your life for us. As we receive this cup and the new covenant, understanding the old covenant wouldn't work, you made a new one. And it was through your own blood that you did it. And so we drink this cup understanding that it is in the blood of Christ that this new covenant is only possible. So we receive that, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. And so now, Lord, as we receive this, we understand afresh and new that we are bought with a price, that we are not our own. We have crossed the battlefield and we are your people and we are engaged in a real battle. And we know the works of the enemy for we have been on his side. We know his manipulations, his doubts, his fears, his scams. God, we're not ignorant of him. We live with him. And so, Lord, now you have given us your Holy Spirit so that we are aware of the battle that is before us. We know how the enemy tries to raise up his ugly head. He's going to try and use family and friends to deceive us and take us down the wrong path. But we rebuke that in Jesus' name. And we know, God, that you are first and foremost in our life above all else. All else. You and you alone. And so today, God, we give you glory for your work in our life. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isn't he amazing? Thank you, God. So the last thing I say to you before we leave is that a lot of times, like, no disrespect, so tech team, please hear what I'm about to say. This is not a slam on you. We watched the video beforehand about the communion kind of thing, you know, and most of the time it's always like somber music, like you're at a funeral. <laughs> well, I understand we have to remember Christ's life, but man, I tell you what, I think communion is more of a celebration than a funeral. Because we're celebrating life, not death. We're celebrating the fact that through that death, we've been given life and that Jesus himself overcame death. Therefore, it ought to be a celebration in the church, right? It ought to be us celebrating, not mourning. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Lord. God, we give you glory. And we praise you and we thank you, God, for life.
for real life. For Lord, we have experienced death life in sin, and now we experience new life in Christ. And oh God, thank you. It's amazing. Let us go forth as your church, as a mighty army, as warriors engaged for battle. Lord, we trust you fully as we march out in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have an amazing day with him. God bless you.